several places in the Bible tonight. We'll be in Genesis 2 to start out, so if you want to turn there. Um, we are continuing our study about who the Holy Spirit is, what, what the Holy Spirit does. Um, tonight's two of, of six um, that we'll look at the Holy Spirit. Um, so tonight we're just dealing with what, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Um, what, what, are the, what are the vast array of things that the Holy Spirit does in his ministry? Um, well, I'm going to show you some images on the screen um, of some things that I believe all, I can't remember, I believe the majority of them are things we don't really use anymore. Um, some of them are ancient things, but, but some of them uh, we've stopped using in my lifetime. But um, So uh, just, just tell me what these things do. What, what are these things for? That's a floppy disk. 720, what's it for? Or what was it for? <laughs> yeah, you store files on it. We Now we have the cloud. We, we just store it all in wherever the cloud is. But your stuff is stored there, which is nice because you don't have to store a million of these in your office. But all, who owns the cloud? I, I don't know. But um, they own all the stuff, whoever it is. Um, cigarette lighter, yeah. We all have the... We all have the hole for the cigarette lighter in our car, but very few still have this thing in it. Um, nope. Go back. That's a cash register. It, it went too far. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's a GPS device. Most of us use our phone now, but, um, but before the phones had the capability to do GPS, we had these little devices. I borrowed my grandparents one time for a trip to Atlanta in college. Um, and uh, um, that they that they didn't update the way our phone does. Our phone updates the addresses and the roads and everything, but those, like, it might tell you to turn on a road that no longer existed or something like that. Um, you could go in and update them, but it cost money, and it was a big process. And um, as you have said, that is a old-time cash registers. Um, what, what do we use now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I ate lunch today, I, I just tapping my credit card onto an iPad, and that's how I paid. So still the same concept, but but not the not not as maybe big and elaborate anymore. You know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For uh, this one is is for sheep. I don't know if there's other kinds, but but that's an old style sheep shearer um, for uh, trimming the hair on on sheep. Um, Record player. These have actually come back. It's the cool thing to have one of these now. I don't know why, but but it, it is. Um, sewing machine. Any of you still use one of these? <laughs> Not like that. Yeah. Uh, technically, it's a protractor. It's for drawing circles on, on math and all of that. Yeah, I used one of these in school, but but I actually had to search to find an image of one like this. Um, there's a new style protractor that's not the little thing that you put in the middle and spin it. So, um, yep, that's a meat grinder right there. It, it, I, I guess, do you put it in the top and turn the thing, and that's how it, okay. Yeah, right. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's probably that's probably the one of all these that we that we probably still use the most. Yeah. (laughs) 
So each of these items have something that they do. They have purposes. They have tasks that they do. They, they, they do things. Um, and so the Holy Spirit, as we looked last time at who he is throughout Scripture tonight, we look at the things that he, the things that he um, does as he works. There's many of them. Um, we're actually them all tonight because some of them go into the next two lessons that we have on the Holy Spirit. But um, we're, we're going to look at many of them tonight. So um, we're going to start out with Genesis chapter 2. Um, most of these have to do with either saving us or with um, our, helping us in our Christian life. But um, this one here is kind of for all of humanity. So um, Genesis 2, verses 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and, and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Where is the Holy Spirit there? Any ideas? The breath of life. Yeah, the, the Hebrew word for, for breath and the Hebrew word for spirit are very similar. Um, now, th- this is, um, it's, it's, it's a different spirit that, that maybe, it's, it's not the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity that's breathed into Adam here, but, um, but, but it is the idea that the Holy Spirit animates living beings, um, gives, gives life to living beings. Um, Adam was not considered a living being until the breath of life entered him. He was a ball of dust until then. Um, the Holy Spirit is responsible for the breath of life, for, for giving that breath. Um, we can see that in the nature of that word that's used, the breath. Um, I, I think the Hebrew word is ruach, um, and it's, it's the spirit and breath are the same kind of idea. Um, he got the breath of God, and he became a living soul when that happened. Um, the Holy Spirit is the animating being behind all life, of giving life to all things. Um, this actually tells us what, what biblically is considered a living being. If you think about, um, you know, we have um, ideas scientifically of, of living beings from the smallest, you know, dot of bacteria all the way up to the giant, you know, uh, to, to the biggest, you know, living organisms that there are. But um, what biblically is a living being? Well, look at Genesis 1.30. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So he gives plants to mankind and to all the beasts of the field for, for food. So biblically speaking, animals are living beings, but plants are not because they do not have the breath of life. Um, we consider plants living beings scientifically, but biblically, a plant is not a living being the same way humans and animals are. Um, um, but, but only mankind is made in God's image when you look at all that. So, so that's the differentiation between plants, animals, and, and humans. Um, what happens when we die in, in relation to the breath of life? Well, Ecclesiastes 12, let, let me read you a um, verse that's in Ecclesiastes 12. Hear, hear what it says in verse 7. Um, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Some translations put, put breath there. The breath returns to the God who gave it. So it's this idea that the Holy Spirit breathes the breath of life into us when we're born or, or when we're conceived and takes it from us when we die. 
uh, our soul, of course, goes to be with God. That's not what it's talking about in Ecclesiastes. There, it's that God breathes that animating life into us when we're born, and He takes it from us when we die, and that's how our body stops moving, essentially. Um, the the Holy Spirit began to animate your body when you were born, and He, when when you die, He takes His breath back. He stops animating your body, and we know this uh, as well. How it plays out. Turn to Ezekiel thirty-seven. Ezekiel 37, um, the, the famous Valley of Dry Bones passage um, reflecting um, what will happen what, one day when Jesus returns, um, that, that um, the, this event that happens in the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, Ezekiel 37, verse, we'll start in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to those bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a sound of, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to, to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. There's that word again. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in an, an exceedingly great army. So the resurrection from the dead at the end will happen the same way um, the same way the first creation happened. The, the breath comes and animates the dead bodies in that way. The Holy Spirit's responsible for all of this. He gives life. Next, go to John 16. This is the next work of the Spirit. So the first is giver of life. The next is chapter 16 of John. <coughs> John 16, um, verses 8 through 11. When he, had, when he comes the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the work of the Holy Spirit is convicting us. He convicts the world, he convicts the Christian, he convicts I mean, it says that he convicts uh, of three things, and it gives a reason for each one of them, a, a reason for that conviction. So concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. So first of all is concerning sin. And the reason it's concerning sin is because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. They do not believe in me. That's how it's concerning sin. So um, what, what, is the, what does this mean that the world's biggest problem is? Well, yeah, but... but What's the reason there that he gives? What, what's the world's biggest problem? 
Uh-huh. Unbelief, that's the world's biggest problem. Um, all the other things that we deem as the biggest problems of the world are fruits on a tree. And the, the root of the tree is unbelief in God, is, is lack of belief in the one true God. Um, so whatever the other problems of the world, be it you know, homosexuality or abortion or racism or whatever people would, would claim is the biggest problem of the world, at the heart of it is unbelief. And those things grow on the tree of that. So what is the answer to the world's biggest problem? If it's unbelief, what's the answer? Yeah, yeah, believe in Jesus. Um, that, that, that's, that's what will fix their problem. So what part does the Holy Spirit play in that? Yeah, convict them that they may come to Jesus. Um, absolutely. The Spirit reveals Jesus to people through the gospel, so they come running to Jesus and, and find the, the solution to the problem. Um, so then what is our job in sharing the faith? It's not that we get everything right or answer every question perfectly. It's not our job to save them. It's just our job to speak the gospel and let the Spirit do the work. It's the Spirit's job to do that work. It's not our job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't convict you. I can't, I can't um, no matter what I say in that pulpit, I can't convict you of anything. The Spirit does it. Um, the Spirit does it. Con- concerning sin, concerning righteousness. He says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Interesting. What, why is it concerning righteousness? Because Jesus is going to the Father and, and, and how is that connected? Well, understand, Jesus dies as the substitute for sin. He rises vindicated as the righteous one. He ascends and sits at the Father's right hand. And his righteousness shines out forever because of that. Ever since, mankind has been trying to measure up. They've been trying to find an example in the world as the righteous one. Um, we, we do this with um, so many righteous people in history. We, we look to them as, our, as the person we're going to follow. But, but they never measure up. It doesn't matter who they are. Mr. Rogers or Mother Teresa or Ronald Reagan or Gandhi or Walt Disney or Martin Luther King Jr. or whoever. So, so many others. There's always, um, you, 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 you read those people and you, you study them, and there's always some kind of thing that they don't measure up in, isn't there? Every hero of people doesn't measure up. Jesus does. He, he, he measures up fully in, the, in righteousness. The, all those people that I named are wonderful people. But, but they were also sinners, and their good works aren't even close to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of that. It convicts the world that there's no righteous figure to turn to to find your righteousness except the one who is sitting at the Father's right hand. You don't measure up. So come running to Christ to measure up on your own, in him. Sinners have to understand this before they can become a Christian because if they don't see their need, if they don't see sin as a big deal, they will never see their need for a Savior as a big deal. If, if they don't see their sin as a big deal, they will give lip, serp- lip service to the Savior and still love their sin. So concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment, the Holy Spirit convicts concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of the world has been judged. Who? It's the, it's the devil. You, go read Revelation 12 later. Um, the, the devil's failure was secured at the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was, he, he's still active in the world, but his ultimate fate was sealed at that moment. Um, he has no ultimate victory anymore. So if the ruler of this world has been judged, the world itself has been too. So get out of there. 
That's what the idea is. The, the world's going to be judged. The Holy Spirit convicts us of that. So get out of the world. Um, like Lot and his family. They're to leave Sodom and Gomorrah and not look back. So, so, so go. And the Holy Spirit convicts to, to, get out of the, to, to get out of the world. Not the earth, not, not fly away to Mars or something, but the, the world as the culture of this world. When the, God, when the Bible speaks of um, the world, it's often talking about the, the, the system of this world, the, the, the culture of this world. Get out of it. Don't, don't love the world and flee to Christ because he's the victor. So when the Holy Spirit convicts, when the Holy Spirit does that, the question for you is, how will you respond to his conviction? You, would, um, you, you, you will respond in one of two ways. Either you will repent, that is, receive his conviction and turn from your sins and run to the Savior, or reject it, refuse him, harden your heart and grow in hatred of God. I, I wouldn't recommend the second. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts us even after we're saved. And there's times when people reject his conviction and they grow hardened in their Christian walk and they don't. Um, that, that they have a lot more groundwork to do to come back to him. When... All right, so conviction, that's the second work that, that we covered. The third one, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The second work, or the third work of the Holy Spirit is um, revelation. He reveals things. He, he, he opens our eyes to things. Um. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. We're, we're going to talk about how he reveals two things, primarily. Um, he reveals scripture and he reveals Jesus. So, so um, first he reveals scripture. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What hint do we have there that the Spirit is involved in the Scriptures? It's a word we've already looked at tonight. He breathed out the Scriptures. That word's popping up everywhere, isn't it? Um, he breathed it out, that God breathed out the Spirit through God, God breathed out the word through the Spirit. Um, in fact, that's what the word inspire means. You, you know the word inspire? It means to breathe. It means it's related to spit. You know, when you talk and spit flies out, that's what inspired is. Um, um, all scripture, all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is produced by the Holy Spirit. He moved in the writers to write the book, and they wrote. And he did so to reveal God's truth to us. Notice what it says, that when, when we take in the scriptures, all the scriptures, everything that's breathed out by God, when we take it in, what happens? We become complete and equipped for every good work. It makes us complete. We don't need anything else. This is what completes our Christian life. We, we have it. We don't need another word. We don't need more than we have in scripture. God didn't give us everything that we can know in scripture. He told us everything we need to know in scripture, all of it. And notice it's four words that it gives. It's for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. You could kind of sum those up in two, two things, correction and training. Um, to teach you new stuff, the, the, the scriptures teach you new stuff, and it fixes what is broken in you, both things. So it, 
it leads you on the right path, and it helps you when you get off the path. That, that's the job of the, of the Holy Spirit working through the Word. Um, so he reveals the scriptures to us. And then John 16, um, you can just write this one down because um, it's, a, it's a small verse, but the Holy Spirit um, reveals something else. John 16, 14. The Holy Spirit will, Jesus speaking, the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit's main job, what he seeks to do with everything that he does, is glorify Jesus. That's what he wants to do. So everything the Spirit does is for the purpose of lifting Jesus up to people and putting him on display. It's something like, I almost call this study the behind-the-scenes God, but, but I end up actually realizing that's, that probably doesn't perfectly define the Holy Spirit, but, but I was going from that idea of a, of, a, of a play in a theater. And in a play in a theater, you know, everybody in the audience only sees the actors in the spotlight. That's the, that's the point of the play. Um, but, but there's all kinds of people working behind the scenes to make sure that actor on the stage is seen rightly by the audience and heard rightly by the audience and all of that. Um, that's kind of how the Holy Spirit does. Jesus is the actor on stage everyone's wanting to see. The Holy Spirit is all the people working behind the curtains, making all the lights shine right and the audio play right and all of that. Um, so, so the Holy Spirit's main purpose is to lift Jesus up to people. He wants Jesus to be front and center. So if someone claims something was by the Holy Spirit and it didn't direct someone's eyes to Jesus, that they're probably wrong. Um, we, we were on the mission trip last weekend, and we somehow got talking about the Holy Spirit. I forget how, but um, Whit Massey said, um, he said, you know, I've, I don't know that I've ever been, like, like, filled with the Holy Ghost, but I just feel like if I did, if I was, I feel like I would probably do something greater than run around like a crazy person. But, because how does that point people to Jesus? Like, like, I think the Holy Spirit's a lot more concerned with, you know, reconciling people to have a grudge against each other or, or um, fixing an unhappy church or um, convicting someone of sin or um, making you forgive somebody or um, something incredible like that, making you reach out and, and befriend a person that everybody else hates. Like, I think the Holy Spirit's a lot more concerned with things like that because that lifts Jesus up to people than if I were to run up and down this aisle like a crazy person, Right? When people run around like crazy people in the name of the Holy Spirit, how does that direct people's eyes to Jesus? It doesn't. His primary purpose is to reveal Jesus to us, to lift Jesus up for us. If, if something's being done in his name that doesn't do that, we should wonder, is that the Holy Spirit? Um, Ezekiel 36, turn there. The next work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Um, and actually, let me read somewhere else just to give you a background to this. Um, the night Jesus was um, met by, by Nicodemus, Listen to the words that, that they say to one another. Um, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Um, so, so hear what Jesus said there. You've got to be born of water and of the spirit. There's a lot of interpretations of what he means by that. Um, and, and, of course, mine is the correct one. Um, it wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be, I guess. But um, so, so there's a lot of interpretations of what water and the spirit is. Some people would say he's talking about um, baptism and being saved. Of course, we don't believe that's true. You're not saved by being baptized. Um, some view it as the two births. You have to be, you know, when, when you're born, your mother's water breaks. And so you have to be born by water and by the spirit. You can't be born by the spirit if you were never born by the water. Um, I don't think that's what it means either. Um, I think it's referencing Ezekiel 36. Um, I, I think he's referencing Ezekiel 36 when he says that. Um, you, should, you should think of spiritual birth just as you do physical birth. Before my physical birth, I did not exist. After I was born, I was completely different than I was before, wasn't I? Well, it's the same with spiritual birth. Look at Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and I and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus said you must be born of water, and of the Spirit. I think he's talking about one birth, this one. The, the Spirit's next work is regeneration. He regenerates unsaved when they believe the gospel. He gives them a new heart with new desires, and through doing that, he sprinkles them with clean water and cleanses them from all their uncleanness, all their idols, and puts his, and the Spirit comes to live within them. This is a description of what happens when somebody gets saved. It's more than they just prayed a prayer and made a decision. The Holy Spirit does a supernatural work in them when they do that. So what happens at spiritual birth? Well, there's cleansing. So washing away of, of your past, your, whatever you've, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, when you come to faith in Jesus, he washes it clean. He sprinkles it with clean water and cleanses you. A new nature. He gives you a new heart. Um, he puts a new spirit, takes out your your heart of stone, he gives you a heart of flesh, so he washes away the past and he makes a new person in the present. He makes a new person in the present. And then, verse 27, he causes you to begin to walk and be careful to obey his rules. He affects your past, present, and your future. The Spirit's w within you now for all of your Christian life and, and, and for all of your future, and so he's going to cause you to walk in his ways. He changes your past, your present, and your future when you are saved, he regenerates you. He gives new birth to you. The Spirit produces a completely new person when, when someone gets saved. He regenerates a dead person. It's work um, that the Holy Spirit does. Sanctification. What is sanctification? Mm -hmm. Yeah, being set apart. So being made different than you were before. Um, being set apart in holiness for God. Um, 1 Peter 1.2 says that the Holy Spirit does the sanctifying work in a Christian. So uh, I've told you before, when, 
When you get saved, God justifies you. He, he makes you completely holy before him in status. But you're still not, you're, you're still like your old self when that happens. Like the moment you get saved, most of the time you're, you're um, the, the sins you've always struggled with don't immediately zap away from you like your struggle with them. As you follow Jesus in life, he makes you more and more like himself for the rest of your life. And one day, when Jesus comes again, he will finish his work in all Christians. He will make them all completely holy in, in you know, not just in position, but in, in, in myself. He'll make me completely holy. He does that slowly over our entire life, and that's what we call sanctification. Over the course of our life, he's stripping away our sins. He's making us more and more holy through our obedience to him. So we see that in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Here's the two-part thing here. There's, there's two sides to this coin. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's two sides of the same coin. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You follow Jesus. You obey his word. You do what he says. And while you're doing that, he does a work in you that you half the time don't even realize, making you more like Jesus. We can't take either one of those out. We can't think that, that I'm making myself more like Jesus in my obedience and completely throw out the fact that God is working in me through the Spirit. And we can't throw out my obedience and say, it doesn't matter what I do, Jesus is going to make me more like him. Like, I can live a, you know, horrible life of sin, Jesus do some work in me. No, it's a two-sided coin. You follow him, and he makes you more like himself. Um, Jesus called the disciples, remember, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You do the following, he does the making. You follow Jesus, and God works through you to make you more like him. It's kind of like um, sanctification, I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but um, it, if you've ever heard, um, you all of the cells that are in your body right now will, will have died and, and new ones that will have come within the next seven years. So seven years from now, the body that you have will not be the same body that you have now. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but um, seven years from now, every cell that you have in your body will have died and you will have grown new ones to fill their spot. So... In a few months when Adrian and I have been married for seven years, I can tell her I'm a completely different man than you were than I was when I married you. Um, um, so, so it's like that. Over time, you know, like it's not like, you know, seven years after I got married, all my skin cells are just going to fall off and new ones are going to pop up. It happens gradually over those seven years to make me a different body than I was seven years ago. If, if you understand. It's like that with, with sanctification. When you get saved, you begin walking in obedience to Jesus, and gradually over time, he's changing you in different parts of your life. And you can probably think back to your time following Jesus, and you probably know moments where he has, um, where, where all of a sudden you weren't who you used to be anymore, where he's changed you, where you've grown. You should be growing in your walk with Jesus. You're growing in your knowledge of him, you're growing in your commitment and service to him. You're growing in holiness and Christian maturity. You should be growing in those things. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian that isn't growing. 
It's an oxymoron. Another work of the Spirit, assurance. I need two people to, to turn to passages of Scripture. Can someone turn to John chapter 10? You're going to read two verses out of there. And then can somebody turn to Romans chapter 8? You're going to read four verses out of that. And you just tell me if, you, if you're turning there and you're going to read. Who's got John 10? Uh, you're going to read 28 and 29, uh, 14 through 17. So, John 10. Romans 8, 14 through 17. And then Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, listen to this. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Bible screams over and over again, you cannot lose your salvation, ever. If you're saved, you will never be plucked out of God's hand you, um, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness that you are the children of God. And Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit sealed you. He, he sealed you. If you ever doubt your salvation or feel like God has stopped loving you, the Spirit is your answer. The Spirit is the one who says, uh, we've got you. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we've got you. He's, he has sealed you, it says. So think of, a, th- think of that time in, in the world, what happened. If, if the king was going to send a letter to somebody, what did he do? He got his little wax, he put it on there, he sealed it with his seal. He, he usually had it on his ring. He would put it there and seal it, and he would send it. And that seal is to not be opened until it gets to the person that it's going to. Uh, only the one whom it is sent to could open it. If anybody else opened it, they were in serious trouble. Um, so it's sent to the king. It's sent to whoever it's going to. And Ephesians 1 says, that is you, that that's you. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit put his seal on you. And you will not be open until you arrive at God himself. That's, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. He bears witness with our spirit. He seals us. He, he is the one that makes it true that we cannot be snatched out of God's hand ever. He gives us assurance. Um, two more tonight. Two, two more works of the Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter 4. <coughs> um, the next work is what we would call illumination. He illuminates. Second um, Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. Even if our gospel is veiled, 
It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we, pro- what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, here's a question. Can an unsaved person understand the Bible? It's a yes and no answer. They can understand it as far as, like, English on a page. They're not stupid. Like, they can read. (laughs) Yeah. Right, yeah, so head knowledge and heart knowledge. They can read words on a page and say, okay, I, I, understand, I can read English, I know what I'm reading, but they can't understand the glory behind the scenes of what they're reading. The Holy Spirit illuminates that in them. But why can they not understand the Bible? It's because of what this says right here. They are blinded. They're blinded. They have a veil over their face, and they can't see. They... Um, the, the, the God of this world, it says, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. When, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, our eyes get opened up. Our eyes can, are open. It uses creation language here, um, verse 6. Um, you remember very first few verses of the Bible, there was darkness to the deep, and God said, let there be light. And boom, light erupted. And it's the same thing with when we get saved. He, he, he enters us, and our eyes are open to be able to see the glory of, of the God. What, what does that mean for our Bible reading? Think about it. It means we can read it, and we can see beauties in it. We're not just reading a novel here that we're going to read once and put on our shelf and never open up again. We're not just reading you know, a, 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 a historical text that you know, some scholars have found interesting. No, we're reading a, we, we, we read this and we never grow tired of it. We, we never um, grow um, uh, accomplished in it. Uh, somebody told me one time, uh, I don't know why I have to keep reading the Bible. I've read it once, isn't that enough? Well, well no, because, because God has designed it so that it's, uh, you know, I, I ate today. Am I going to eat dinner? That, that's the kind of thing. Like, like, like this, is a, this is food for our souls, and we continue to feed ourselves every day with it. We never grow tired of it. We never graduate from it. We can see such beauty in Genesis to Revelation, even in genealogies and in um, law codes from Leviticus and in um, repetitive things that we don't think make sense in um, the, the book of Lamentations. I mean, we, we can see such glory in this if we will ask the Holy to open our eyes as we read it. The Spirit is the one who inspired the Bible. He's also the one who makes it understandable to you. Without the Spirit, you would never understand this book. Final work that we'll look at tonight is Romans chapter 8. A few verses after what Jay read just a minute ago. Romans chapter 8, the final work we'll look at is intercession. He intercedes for us. <clears throat> Romans eight twenty one through twenty seven. <clears throat> Actually, we'll start in verse twenty. 
creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's be honest. We all struggle to pray at some point. Maybe you're not struggling to pray right now. Maybe you just came out of a season where your prayer life wasn't very strong. I don't know a Christian that says that they're satisfied with their prayer life all the time. What are some things you think make it hard to pray or to pray well? What are some things you would grade as marks against your prayer life that that cause it to struggle? Yeah, distractions, that's a big one. Yeah, we've got plenty of distractions around us. Fatigue, yeah, yeah, I'm too tired to pray. I don't feel like it, um, or I don't feel like, I don't, my, my prayers are, are muttered out through, through yawns, and I'm, I'm about to fall asleep, or I'm tired, and I can't think, and so I don't feel like my prayer life is really that strong. What else? Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, a lot of things to do. We've got so many things to do in our time. Um, one that you may not think of is, is um, temptations to sin, that that will, that will um, quench your, your prayer life. Um, so many things that, that, that take our mind off of prayer that make our prayer life weak. And all of that is ultimately the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. That's, that's why I read 20 through 25 before we get to 26 and 27. Um, notice the um, 20 through 25 uses a lot of words over and over. Um, that the um, futility is there. Groaning is there multiple times. So it's all of creation, he says, from the smallest ant to the, to the biggest star are groaning in pain because sin has corrupted the universe. We live in that fallen world. And, and they're groaning, and we groan with them, it says. We, we groan inwardly, verse 23, as we wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And while we groan, often we have those distractions, and we have those, that fatigue, and we have those temptations, and we have those trials, and we have all different things that are just causing us to not be able to focus and not be able to pray, and often um, just, just quenching our Christian life and making us weak. And, and, and we're not yet what we will be one day. For right now, we still struggle with the flesh, and so we still struggle to pray. Have you ever had a moment where you were in position you couldn't get a word out? Like, like you're, you, you've just read your Bible, and you sit there, and you're about to pray, and it's like you can't even think of what to, of what to say. And it's like you, you know that you should be praying, and you know that you should be 
seeking the Lord and you know you should be talking with him and you know you got this list of things that you should pray for and it's like you can't even get a word out. What do you do in those moments? Well, verses 26 and 27 are a great comfort. You trust the Spirit to pray for you. That's what it says. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses in those weak moments when we don't know what to say in prayer. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He knows, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we don't know what to pray for, when we're struggling to pray, the Spirit prays for us, and we can trust that. That's what the Spirit is doing in those moments. And also, if you ever worry that you prayed for the wrong thing or something, notice what verse 27 says. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit knows the will of God. He knows what we should pray for. He's always praying that for us. And so when we pray for something dumb that we don't understand is not what we really need, the Spirit's like, hey, uh, don't listen to them. Here's what they really need. And, And he prays for the right thing for us. The Spirit groans for you. He's praying for you always. When you're struggling to pray and feel horrible for it, you can trust that the Spirit's interceding for you. When you can't get the words out and you don't know what to say, just sit in silence and say, Spirit, would you groan for me right now because I don't know what to pray for. Because he is interceding for you and he is groaning for you. Understand this, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you are never going unprayed for, ever. It doesn't matter if nobody in this world is praying for you. It doesn't matter if you aren't praying for you. The Spirit is always praying for you, always. He's always interceding for you with groanings too deep for words. There are several other works of the Spirit, but they are better covered over the next two weeks. Um, Next week we'll cover what, what it looks like for the Christian to walk by the Spirit big theme of the New Testament, and then the week after that we'll talk about the, the Spirit in worship and, and in church and, and what the Spirit looks like in, 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 in worship and in fellowship of the church and, and in all those things. So any questions or comments on anything we've discussed here before we pray? Twelve seven. Yes, chapter 12, verse 7. Uh-huh. All right. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you and I pray um, that you would help us to know the Spirit deeper. Lord, that you would um, help us to know his work in our lives, that he is doing everything for us from convicting us of sin to um, illuminating the scriptures for us to praying for us. And Lord, we, pray, we, we thank you so much for that one, having just looked at it, that Lord, so often I condemn myself because I don't feel like my prayer was very good that I just prayed but at that very moment the spirit is praying the best prayers that could possibly be prayed for me and Lord may I not try and justify myself by my prayer life and may none of us do that may we be justified by Christ on the cross and trust the spirits working in us all the time be with us as we go from here and help us to live spirit filled lives and help us to walk by the spirit and help us to be a church that, that follows the word of the Spirit and listens to the Spirit and does what the Spirit says truly. Not according to what the world says the Holy Spirit should do, but according to what your word says the Holy Spirit does. Fill us with your Spirit as we go from here. 
And may our lives lift up Jesus for all to see. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.